This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Monday, October 10th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris, coming off of a very exciting wild card weekend, the first of its kind with the best of three format. Eno, how's it going for you? That Mariners-Blue Jays game? Brutal. It hurts. I'm not even a fan of the Blue Jays, and it hurts. Like, literally, I mean, it literally hurt that Springer... Both, you know, just like a like a physical representation of what was happening in the game. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just like could have been worse. Collapse. Yeah, but um, you as much as it is awful for the Blue Jays, like what a moment for the Mariners. You know, I mean, they came down from seven runs. I, you know, I was already like, okay, game three, here we go. (laughs) <laughs> and they didn't look past that and they just sort of ground it out and you know one thing that that did occur to me while I was watching that was you know a lot of the big hits were done by the bottom lineup JP Crawford and Adam Frazier had big hits to tie and and, and go ahead and remember we said you know the bottom of the Mariners lineup isn't very good but at least they make contact they put balls in play. They can make some things happen just because they don't strike out. And I think those are the types of hitters you want to have at the bottom of the order come playoff time because now anything ducks happen. on the pond, you know, and then you then you put a ball in play. Also, it is interesting to think there are some analytical backpinnings to having high contact guys late at bottom of the order. And I think it probably has to do with the fact that, um, you know, like when you do order optimization, it makes sense to have high contact guys later on the bottom. And I think it has something to do with defense because when their player's on, you can't shift the same way. You got to cover some bags, you know? Uh, you can't just leave full swaths open. Like you can't, if there's a guy on third, you can't shift everybody over to the left and be like, yeah, guy on third, just walk home. <laughs> so there are, there are shifts that are not, you can't do and then you have a guy that can make contact. That's a good combination where you can't shift them. You get the guy who makes contact and they, they keep the ball rolling. And you saw the bottom of the order did really well. Cal Raleigh with the one of the best nicknames in baseball, the Big Dumper. <laughs> That's the nickname Cal Raleigh That's has officially? Nickname. That's on the yes. baseball reference page? I, I, I don't know yet if it's there, but uh, the announcers are talking about it. And like, yes, it, it does have something to do with his ass. <laughs> mm. Okay. So he's a catcher, you know, <laughs> big dumper. It's uh it's uh pretty hilarious if you ask me, but uh, he had he he brought the power and and Frazier and Crawford brought the contact and uh the top of the the top of the lineup got on base. So I don't know. Kudos to them. Uh Robbie Ray, you know, I didn't didn't think he was keeping it close, but he kept it close enough. Um and then you know, over uh, in the Phillies Cardinals series, um I think we did see in the end uh, some of the shortcomings of the Cardinals staff. You know, they they had their GM on MLB Network. I think somebody asked him, you know, you had you your your pitching staff has the worst strikeout rate in the playoffs. You think that's going to matter? And he's 
he said, well, you know, we obviously built this so that they would put their balls, they would allow balls in play to our great defense. And that's, it was by, it was by, you know, he sort of said like, we did that on purpose. Um, and, and then he said, well, we'll see if it works in the, in the playoffs. And I think, um, you know, in a couple of the places you saw, they just allowed too much contact, you know? Some of it was just Ryan Helsley's finger was hurt and he walked a bunch of guys, but um, you know, in other in other times they just uh, just there was too much contact that the the Phillies offense was good enough to to take advantage and um, and then the Phillies pitchers who do strike more batters out, uh, you know, kind of uh, were able to finish the job off. I, I do wonder if you know Zach Eflin as closer is going to be enough in the next round, but we'll. We'll get to preview some of that. <laughs> yeah, the Phillies' A bullpen is still a concern. The further into the postseason you go, the more difficult the opposing lineups are, the bigger that weakness becomes. So I, I have some issue with that. But I mean, I thought I thought the big comeback of the weekend was game one of that Phillies-Cardinal series. I thought that six-run ninth inning, that was oh, going to be it. Amazing. We weren't going to see anything that topped that. And then what the Mariners did to the Blue Jays was even uh, a notch bigger just in terms of the deficit that they that they erased but we worried about that with the Cardinals that their starting pitching was giving up something in every potential series in the postseason that came back to bite them a little bit and you know we'll see if they make changes during the offseason we'll probably do some some sort of offseason preview for the teams that get eliminated as the, the week rolls along as well but other thought I had was that I do like this format, even though it feels unfair. I wanted seven games of, of Blue Jays Mariners. You can't have seven games and then seven games and then seven games and then seven games. We still be playing during the winter meetings. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it's because the regular season is probably too long in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Like if the the only real solution to make the playoff series longer would be to make the regular season shorter. And I don't know if that's even a a conversation worth having because it seems like it's never going to happen or very unlikely to happen but there was a lot going on and I think the the final headline of the weekend as a whole was Joe Musgrove being checked for foreign substances the video this is the video that I think went viral uh, beyond baseball Twitter like if you watch Good Morning America on Monday morning you may have seen Alfonso Marquez checking out Joe Musgrove's ear looking for a foreign substance wet ears just sopping wet ears (laughs) spin rates were up for musgrove in this start i don't know if the circumstances beyond that were the main reason why buck showalter wanted this check done or what exactly led to that decision but it was a pretty bizarre moment to say the least yeah spin rates were up um i'm I'm gonna write a, a story uh putting all these ducks in, in order and, and proving all of the uh, assumptions. But these assumptions are are, are sort of well-proven, and, and they go as such. Spin goes up when velo goes up, you know, especially within a pitcher. And uh, Joe Musgrove last night was up a tick. You know, he had that postseason velo, uh, that postseason adrenaline bump, or just that, that postseason, you know, I'm going to throw closer to my max, you know. Uh, that's what that's what pitchers do. They throw closer to their maximum velo in the postseason. So, you know, given that his fastball velocity, his fastball spin per mile per hour uh, was well in line with what he'd done during the season. He'd had higher during the season, and it was well within the band. And in terms of the difference, even from his seasonal average, it was uh, 
let's say, a half a standard deviation. And for example, when we did enforcement, I saw uh, about a fifth of the league went down two standard deviations in this spin per RPM, uh, RPM per, per MPH. So, you know, we've seen precedent. We know what cheating looks like. It looks like two standard deviations plus. This was a half a standard deviation. Um, there's a little bit more to it because its slider uh, spin was up more, but slider spin is just more volatile. You know, there's just more there's just more ups and downs in slider spin from start, start to start. It's a trickier pitch. So I don't think there was anything there. I've also myself noticed his sweaty ass years before. <laughs> but um, that's probably where I went wrong. Uh, I was talking about that on Twitter last night. Uh, if you start talking about sweaty years, then you get into this Google image search battle with people where they're like, what about this start? This this year doesn't look sweaty. And then other people are saying, no, that year looks sweaty. And then then it's just just that's mm, that's uh, not not fun. You know, it's just a lot of people yelling, seeing what they want to see. Uh, so uh, I'm trying to leave the fact that I've seen his sweaty ears before <laughs> out of the picture. But, uh, uh, you know. Uh, if it, and people were talking about Vaseline, I was like, um, if he's using Vaseline, he doesn't know how this thing works. Because <laughs> that dude is a breaking ball pitcher primarily. He wants more spin. We're talking about how his spin is up, and Vaseline would reduce your spin because it's a, it's a, you know, how do you describe it? It's a, it's slippery. Slippery. Yeah. yeah. It's like a slick <laughs> substance. The whole thing is called sticky stuff. (laughs) So, and then, you know, Andrew McCutcheon came out there and said, oh, he's using Red Hot. He's probably has Red Hot on his ears to like, you know, to bring the adrenaline. And I I was like, okay, but don't think that Alfonso Marquez would notice if he touched Red Hot. (laughs) He'd be like, smell it. "Ah!" (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and smell it. And wouldn't he like, wouldn't there be a reaction? Like, damn, that's Red Hot. (laughs) Um, so I don't know. I, I think he's probably just sweating, you know, and he's throwing the ball harder than he usually does. I don't know. I've, I, I've seen spin rate increases where you're like, Oh, what is that? Uh, and that was not one of them. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And I guess in the end, it kind of just makes Buck Showalter look bad. That's how I felt about it. It kind of just made him look desperate in the moment for, for making that decision. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, th- th- there is something gross about the way enforcement is done, which is, you know, they touch the hands and that's it. Or uh, a manager has to come out and be like, go check him, you know? And then that's like, oh, man, are the Mets going to get thrown at? And, uh, you know, Musgrove is making the gestures at the Mets. You know, it, it becomes a very personal thing. You know, I have to go check him, you know? Um, and uh, I think... I think the real foible is not to check him because everything's on the line. I think you just do it earlier. Yeah, that was pretty late in that appearance. Right. It's like it just looks bad because, oh, now you're losing and you're, you're trying to get him out of the game. If, if you think it, if you see a spin is up and you're two innings in, take the shot then. It doesn't look as desperate. The other series, uh, by the way, the series that we haven't even mentioned yet in the first 11 minutes of the episode, Ray's Guardians, it played to the script of being extremely low scoring, right? It took 15 innings on Saturday for Oscar Gonzalez to hit the game-winning home run. It was the only run of the game. And I've seen people write about it and say it was either great pitching or it was just awful offense, and we're not really sure which. But it was compelling, to say the least. And 
No, you find it compelling to watch? For some people. <laughs> it's almost like the bad game you couldn't look away from, or it was, I love watching mm. pitching, and I love watching pitching dominate hitting. And I kind of fell more on the, this isn't exactly the type of baseball that I enjoy the most. Right, for 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 categorizing game types, that's not it's not really what I'm there for. I'm a pitching guy, so like, yeah, Glass now was nasty, and uh, you know, McClanahan was pretty nasty, and uh, Bieber has amazing command. It's it's fun to watch him just you know drop those uh, breaking balls on the outside corner. You know, it's just you know that he's very good at what he does, but th- there has to be an element of risk of you know, oh, Nolan Arenado is up or oh, Freddie Freeman is up. You know what I mean? Like, did you see what Glass now did to Freddie Freeman? Now you're like, ooh, that's nasty. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, there's uh, just too many, like Owen Miller and like, Jose Siri hit a homer, but like, you know what I mean? Like just these types of hitters where you're like, I don't feel like I was trying to watch it and I had to take a shower and I, I was like, I have to take a shower. I take a nap. I have to do all these things. And the game just kept going on and on. And then I decided, I'm just going to take the shower. And I like left the game on loud so I could hear it and took a quick shower. Didn't miss anything. <laughs> it's like, that's how I felt about the game. So um, I think that you need better hitting to make you appreciate the, be- the, the, the standout pitching more. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying the Guardians are bad. And we'll have some, you have an interesting nugget about the Guardians in their next series. But um, there certainly isn't a power threat. Like, who's the power threat? You've got Jose Ramirez, and I, I guess Oscar Gonzalez hit that homer, but uh, he's more of a medium power. They have, you know, him and Naylor, you know, kind of have medium power. I had people, I had people that work in the game texting me, both these teams should lose. <laughs> it's the opposite of, of Mariners Blue Jays. <laughs> How about we keep the Mariners and the Blue Jays and we send the Guardians and the Rays home, which is not fair to fans of those teams. I had a player development person text me, can either of these teams develop a hitter? It gets a little unfair. You know, it's sniping a little bit. Probably, you know, teams teams that are a little mad or whatever. But but still, you know, they the, the Guardians developed this type where it's like, okay, you can cover the zone. You have a good sense of uh, of what's a strike and what's not. But what about power? Here's an argument for you. How is it different? What the Guardians do with the construction of their lineup, how is it really different than what the Cardinals did with their rotation? Mm. Because that's a conscious choice that an organization can make. Oh, we're going to build a pitching staff that is mostly cheap, that will pitch to contact. It's like, well, you don't really want... If your choices are avoid contact or pitch to contact, you'd choose to avoid contact. But... If you have to pitch to contact, then you find guys that induce weak contact, which is a skill and a thing that the Cardinals have done. Finding undervalued players. Right. And it's just doing this on the offensive side. Yes, but we just talked about how the Guardians had the prospects to add. And, you know, they did try to get Framiel Reyes. So they did, you know, they, they have tried to add, you know, power hitters to a lineup that makes contact. That's what I would say is, you know, at least develop one guy, another Jose Ramirez, like... The, the Guardians were last in barrel rate, uh, which means, you know, that's a combination of launch angles and exit velocities that produces power. And here are the teams. They were last in the big leagues. Here are the teams. I'm going to keep going until I hit a playoff team. 29th, Reds. 28th, Nationals. 
27th Rockies. There you go. 26th Rays. So you had the two teams that can't hit the ball hard together. And, you know, to, to the Rays' credit, at least they hit the ball hard in the wrong angles. Their hard hit rate uh, is actually top half. The Guardians are last in hard hit rate, meaning how time, many times they hit a ball over 95 miles an hour. Here are the teams above them. Oakland, Cincinnati, Washington, Angels, D-backs, Tigers. So, like, you know, I don't know. I like getting some undervalued guys. I like Stephen Kwan. I like that they have an approach. But use some of your prospects that you've built up to then go get a legitimate real power hitter. You know what I mean? Like, how much better would this team be if there was another guy that could hit that hit homers a lot like Jose Ramirez? Like, who was there? Is there somebody at the dead? Like, what? Soto. Even if it wasn't Soto, who else could they have reasonably traded Josh for? Josh Bell. Anyone. Anybody that was available, they had the prospects necessary to go get that player. J.D. Martinez. We put J.D. Martinez on their team a couple of times. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the maybe the supply wasn't exactly what they were looking for. You know, maybe maybe they just can't make a match. But uh, I I like making having hit a bunch of singles. But their offense wasn't wasn't good. Uh, let's just do a, a regular way of looking at it. Uh, WRC plus. Um, you know, they're the 16th best team under a league average WRC plus. So that's like OPS plus. Um, and there is no playoff team that had a worse offense. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so you put it on the tee for us. Let's get to the division series previews. We'll just start with the Guardians and Yankees. We're already one foot in on getting there. Which team has more hitters with a WRC plus of 100 or better, the Guardians or the Yankees? Think about it. I know because of the setup. (laughs) Do you know? You wouldn't have asked me that if it was the Yankees. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not here to only trick you with trivia questions. If I was, I <laughs> might have asked it that way. So you're, you've used the context clues to your benefit. Okay, so the Guardians have more hitters with the WRC plus of 100 or higher than the Yankees. It's a 6-5 to five edge. But when you look at the Yankees and Guardians offenses, the hilarious thing is that the Yankees hit twice as many home runs in the regular season. Double. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. How much does it matter when one guy, when one guy hits 62 of those home runs? Mm, I don't know. There's still 190 that they hit to the 127 of the Guardians. <laughs> yeah, but I guess my point is, once you get past Aaron Judge, Anthony Rizzo, DJ LeMahieu, Glaber Torres, Giancarlo Stanton in his current form, they're not clearly better than... Jose Ramirez and Andres Jimenez and Naylor and Oscar Gonzalez. I think if they can come up with a good strategy to avoid getting decimated by Aaron Judge, they can bring the Yankees lineup down quite a bit. I think Yankees fans know this. They've seen this team go through some difficult stretches in the second half. At one point, it looked like they were going to 
blow an insurmountable lead in the AL mm-hmm. East in part because of some of their difficulties scoring runs. So I don't want to make this a, a David versus Goliath thing because I think that's <laughs> what most people are going to do. And I don't think it is that. I, I think when you look at the Guardians versus the Yankees, obviously, yes, the power advantage is something the Yankees have. They are built for it. The Guardians are not. I wonder, when you look at the regular season series too, the Yankees won five of six with a plus 24 run differential against them. I wonder though, with the Guardians having used their first two starters during wildcard weekend, if they're almost better off in the Cole game having Cal Quantrill out there. Instead of burning Bieber or McKenzie against Cole, just throwing Quantrill, hoping to get Quantrill through five and go to the bullpen, if they actually have a better chance of winning games later in the series. That's an interesting idea, but I think, you know... uh, I, I heard a talking head on, on MLB Network saying Cole was their third best pitcher. Really? So, yeah. That person has a living room that looks like the green screen one behind me, yes, too. Yes, you can guess who it is. Unbelievable. <laughs> I am in my new apartment. That is not what it looks like, by the way. There's a pile of boxes behind me, so I'm using the, the automatic. That's why I'm blurry if you're watching on YouTube. You just sold your athletic shares, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had I had enough to buy what's behind me. Yeah. <laughs> nope. No, he didn't. Uh, but, um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the thing is, uh, Garrett Cole just set the strikeout rate record uh, for the Yankees in a single season. Uh, Garrett Cole is in the top five or top three in strikeout rate in the last month the last half year the last year the last two years the last three years the last five years like whatever time period you want to look at he strikes out a ton of guys he doesn't walk guys either but there has been a homer problem he's given up two homers per nine in the last 30 days and this year about a homer and a half it's just not a good problem for the guardians to explore <laughs> you know I mean? who's going to hit one. Right. So they're going to, they, they really need like a Naylor or Gonzalez, uh, Homer to pair with maybe a Ramirez Homer, because, uh, on the other side, the, the Yankees, uh, team is going to do some damage. And one thing that I like uh, about this fall for the Yankees is that they have these two guys, Oswald Carrera and Oswaldo Peraza that, um, are wild cards. You know, and, uh, you know, I'm not sure that long term they're great players because they strike out a lot, uh, especially given their power rates. But uh, they also are wild cards in that uh, they could provide offense at positions that the Yankees have been struggling, you know, a little bit. And uh, and there are young guys where maybe the book isn't as long. You know, the the scouts aren't as exactly sure uh, what to do. And they've they're athletic and. You know, if they run into one or two, and then you've got Judge and Rizzo and Stanton, everybody to deal with, then then they're going to be really formidable. And uh, I'm for one of a guy says that Cole is their best starter and is a very good starter and is probably going to win game one. I don't know how you could look at their pitchers they have, how you could ever have watched them, and you could draw the conclusion that Garrett Cole's their third best pitcher. Like that is, it's impossible. I mean, you're just like, you know, Cortez is, is having a great season. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. He's he's really good. But um, yeah, but your se- if your season's on the line, you could choose a Yankee starter. You're telling me that there are people who would choose Nestor Cortez over Garrett Cole. 
or or Luis Severino over Garrett Cole. Very many people that would. I would choose Severino over Cortez if we're trying to rank them, but I think Cole's easily their number one. Like it's not not even much of a debate for me. So I think he's a top three pitcher in the game. So I. What's interesting about these teams, though, is when you stack up the pitching, it's very close to even, right? We talked about Bieber and McKenzie being a very good one-two mm. going into the weekend. And just because they'll be more like middle of the series than early in the series doesn't change a lot. The bullpens, I think because of the injuries the Yankees have dealt with in the bullpen, bullpen advantage might actually lean toward the Guardians right now. Yes, at least in terms of uh, top two. But then we also saw a fair amount of depth in that long game. <laughs> Uh, they were trotting out, you know, Eli Morgan has uh, a ridiculous high spin, low velo changeup, just a weird ass thing. And then Hentgen has a, a really good uh, curveball that he just kept throwing over and over again. So they do have uh, some really good relievers beyond Klasse and Karinchak, who, you know, are probably a better one, too. I mean, Holmes has kind of lost the command a little bit in terms of stuff. I think he can hang with those two, but then. Who's his Robin? With all the injuries, uh, what's the ideal script for the Yankees if they have to get nine outs from their bullpen? Who are the most likely candidates to get those nine outs? So over the last 30 days in terms of innings, you're talking about, uh, I think Clark Schmidt is actually going to step forward and be a reliever for them in the postseason. So I think Clark Schmidt, Clay Holmes, and Jonathan Loisega Loisaga's strikeout rate was just not there, but it's 73% ground ball rate. So, you know, it's a lot of sinkers, power sinkers. Um, Frost is a key. Luki and Marinaccio and, and Trevino, I guess, are the next three. Now, Sky Efros is part of that A bullpen. It, it's Holmes and Efros. Oh, that's right. He's been, he was hurt and he came back. Yeah. So, so Efros, Holmes, and then Loisaga, Luki are the next two. And then Schmidt is in there somewhere. I think, you know, if you, whatever two, whatever second guy you pick next to Clay Holmes is not, in, in terms of a duo, is not going to be up there with Class A and, and current check. No, but they're not giving up that much. Not that much. And then, and then, and you could just do Schmidt for an inning and a half and then Holmes for an inning and a half and, 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 Clay, and uh, Cole for six, right? And yes, you could do that in the postseason. So, um, the bullpen is the little bit of a maybe a slight advantage, but uh, to the Guardians. But I think you know I would take the starting pitchers of the Yankees over the starting pitchers of the of the Guardians. Five game series is the format, of course, for the divisional series. So, who do you take, and how many games does this one go? Yankees in four. I think I'm right there with you, even though I think the games are going to be a little tighter than people realize for all the reasons that we've described. So we'll we'll match predictions on the, uh, the first of the four series that we're going to talk about. Let's keep it in the AL before we go to the NL matchups. Let's talk Mariners and Astros. I'm excited for this series because we see these teams play a lot during the regular season. The gap is narrowing between these two clubs. Astros went 12-7 and against the Mariners during the regular season, but the run differential was only a plus 8 for Houston in this one. A lot to unpack, of course. We discussed the the big comeback the Mariners had in Game 2 against the Blue Jays being down 8-1 after 5. George Kirby picked up the save in Game 2 on Saturday, you know, with 26 pitches. I don't think that would really impact his availability for the beginning of the series. I don't think we've seen the, the Mariners announce their 
their game one starter at the time of this recording, kind of midday on Monday. But I think the thing that really stands out to me with the Astros and has stood out to me the entire time we've looked at them this season, they have the best pitching staff in baseball by war. The Mariners were middle of the pack. They added Luis Castillo at the trade deadline, so they're probably more of like a top 10 staff overall. It's a nice boost. He pitched really well in game one of that Jays series, by the way. But this Astros team does not have a weakness because they're also good defensively. They score runs. They don't strike out. They have power. Their starting pitching is great. Their relief pitching is great. And their defense is awesome. Player development is great. Their game planning is great. Their coaches are great. Like, what's not great? You know, I think the even the one sort of soft weakness, I think sometimes you might say, oh, they're pitching, their starting rotation is the kind that wins you regular season games. But then we've seen in October, Luis Garcia has been tired or Jose Arquiti has been tired. I, I think with Lance McCullers, and from Rivaldez and uh, and Justin Verlander, you've kind of you've kind of said, you know, Luis Garcia and Jose Urquidy and Christian Javier, you know, like you know, we're, if you only give us two innings, we're gonna still win the game. You know what I mean? Like, I think you put Verlander in game one and he wins against anybody. You might give Luis Castillo an edge against any non-Verlander in game two. I think you that's what you do. So uh, maybe you win game two as the Mariners, uh, but then what happens? Then you still have, let's say they uh, the Astros lose Javi, use Javier and they lose with Javier against them. Then you got from Rivaldez in game three and you still haven't used Lance McCullers. I think I, if I was running the Astros, would make Lance McCullers a uh, like kind of multi-inning power reliever. Because I do think that would give them a bridge to their late inning relievers and and keep them away from some of their relievers they may not want to use so much. Um, and uh, and I would rather have Javier go five, I think, innings. So uh, I still I think that the Mariners are going to win one, and maybe they're going to win two. I can't I I don't think I can write a script where they win three. Obviously, yeah, you can. <laughs> Uh, it's like yeah it's october it's playoff baseball like yeah yeah they go punch justin verlander in the mouth (laughs) like not not literally not literally literally, not literally (laughs) no no they do to verlander what the padres did to scherzer yeah right once in a while it happens and it's just that swings a whole series completely changes everything because if if you could take one of the first two games and you go back to seattle you can could possibly end the series now going you back surprise to yeah you surprise Fromber, or you surprise uh somebody else yeah but then i mean game five you're still probably coming back with verlander yeah so i think because of the astros starting pitching depth they have six guys that you'd actually want to start in playoff games and they're not going to need them of course in a five game series to all start so they can stack them up they can hide their weakest relievers so there's they're as loaded as any team in the entire field I think it goes five. I'm going to take Houston in five for my prediction for this one. Yeah. I say they win the Luis Castillo game and they have one other surprise in them. I'll say five. But it's, I, I got to pick the Astros, man. It's, they're just a juggernaut. You know, it's like, it's like the Dodgers. Dodgers West. It really is. Dodgers, well, they're Ale. Dodgers East, Ale. I guess. Yeah, they held Dodgers. <laughs> I don't think of Houston as East very often. But yeah, here we are. 
Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I wanna tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Let's go to the NL side. We'll start with the game that will kick things off on Tuesday, Phillies. Braves, the regular season meetings between these clubs are, are pretty interesting because Atlanta took the season series 11-8. Run differential was only plus three. The Phillies have been a few different teams this season, right? I mean, you think about them as a team that went 28-10 and against the Nats and the Marlins and 59-65 against everybody else. Or you could think about them as a team that's been... 65 and 46 under Rob Thompson, who just got a, a two-year extension on Monday and no longer has the the interim tag. So which Phillies team are they really? Are they that better version they've been since making the managerial change? They're pretty healthy, and Bryce Harper homering in that series against St. Louis, just a really good sign that maybe he's closer to 100% than he was for the better part of the stretch run when the power really wasn't there. Um, what do you think about these two teams that we, we see matched up against each other all the time? I think that the buy really favors the Braves because the Phillies had to use Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola to get here, you know, and I think that keeps them from using either of them twice. And that ends up being a big deal, I think, because, you know, Max Fried, the Braves get to use twice. You know, and that could that could be the difference. That could be the difference. You know, what's going to happen in game one? Ranger Suarez against Max Freed? Taking Max Freed. What's going to happen in game two? If, you know, Strider could be back. He's on the roster, I believe. And, you know, healthy. The question is, how much length does he have? Does he become their super reliever? You know? Mm. Or, or, you know... Who you who uh who what are you doing there? I guess uh I guess you just you know you just uh, play it safe and uh do Kyle Wright second. In that game, it's almost a pick 'em. Like I, I think Kyle Wright has been that good. Kyle Wright has changed his pitch mix. Uh he's de he's de-emphasized the fastball, he's changed the movement on his slider and change up on his uh, sinker and change up and he's really emphasized the curveball he's really become a standout pitcher in this version of Kyle Wright uh, if it's Aaron Nola versus Kyle Wright it's actually Zach Wheeler against Kyle Wright is that am I crazy to think that's like close to a pick'em um, because it's in Atlanta I mean if we're talking about what the Vegas odds are going to be because Atlanta's at home 
it will turn out to be closer to a pick'em. But I think I was just talking about the pitching matchup. I think I still have you take Wheeler, Wheeler and Notch ahead of right. Yeah, I, I think that still favors the Phillies. Yeah, and then uh, and then you you can have Nola against Morton or Strider. Uh, that's a big difference. Because I actually, and I, I hate to, you know, I hate recency bias and new toy disease and all that stuff. But uh, I had a long conversation with Steven Strider when he was in town about whether or not this two-pitch mix can work. And, and you know, my, my model Stuff Plus says he's the best pitcher in baseball by stuff. Uh, I, I know Aaron Nola is very good. I would, I would call it a pick 'em, Nola against Strider. And maybe even give Strider the advantage. That's how much I think of Strider. So the question would be how many innings? If Nola can go six, obviously, can Strider. And if Strider can only go two or three, and then it's two or three innings of Morton, then I'm then I'm taking Nola. Yeah, yeah that's pretty tricky. Uh, and then when you start talking about the bullpens, you know, Braves had top three bullpen by most met- metrics this season. The Phillies have a bullpen. It's better than previous <laughs> Phillies bullpen. Yes, it is. This is the upset that I was I was right about the Phillies being here. I I thought they were going to steal that series in St. Louis, and and they did. And part of it was an improbable comeback in Game One, putting six runs on the I, board. I put and too much faith in the Devil Magic. Yeah, I'd say, hey, I I thought it was coming back. Albert Pujols had that big hit late, and you could kind of feel feel the the energy shifting, even from afar, and I. I thought that was going to be the beginning of the turnaround for the Cardinals, and it, it wasn't, which was very surprising to me. But I look at this Phillies team, and I think they can hold their own offensively. It's going to come down to execution with that bullpen. Is the Phillies a bullpen as of today? Jose Alvarado, Sir Anthony Dominguez, and Zach Eflin? Like, those are the guys they want to go to if they and need David, nine David outs? Robertson, um, but David Robinson, Sir Anthony Dominguez, uh, walked 12 batters per nine in September, I believe combined so that's not good not good but that's a, a september split for relievers is uh, that's that's cutting the pizza into the sample. tiniest little yeah, pieces that's a that's a st louis pizza cut well i don't like the tiny but relievers squares. often are only as good as they were last week you know what i mean <laughs> that's uh, that's that's something that like uh, there's somebody talking about oh the yankees should be worried about their bullpen and uh, you can look at every bullpen in the playoffs and be like mm, what do they do what do they do? You know, like even current chat and class say, what do they do after those guys? You know, like you can, you can do it. Probably Cleveland's the only one where like, yeah, their bullpen's pretty good. <laughs> mm-hmm. But even the, you know, I was looking at the Dodgers, you know, they just lost Craig Kimbrell and they, and they lost, uh, uh, you know, lost Craig Kimbrell, not to like injury, but just he's lost. <laughs> he's in, he's out in the forest trying to find his way home. Um, and they had Evan Phillips and Alex Vessia as two top 10 relievers in baseball this year. Uh, Vessi had a top 10 strikeout rate. Phillips was a uh, top three reliever by Fangraph's war, like really excellent relievers. Do you, do you say Phillips, Vessia, and we're good? Or do you say the Dodgers have a little bit of weakness in the bullpen? I would say almost every team has a little bit of weakness in the bullpen. <laughs> every team is like, so what are we doing about the bullpen? <laughs> It is a recurring problem for most clubs. Yeah, I would agree that the Dodgers do have that little bit of weakness that can be exploited there. We'll get to them here in just a moment. Jansen hasn't looked unbeatable this year, you know. 
We say that every single year in October. <laughs> every year. And he gets the job back and he pitches well and he pitches and he well to keep done. the job. And it comes around. It's an annual tradition now on this show to have well, some I'm not picking lingering doubts here. about Jansen. I'm picking the Braves. And uh, maybe the Phillies, the Phillies do are going to win one of those uh, Nola Wheeler games. I'm pretty sure. Um, but I think that might be it. I think it might be four and the Braves in four. I want to pick an upset somewhere and I'm having a hard time finding a place to do it. And I think that just speaks to the difference. Oh God, I'm going to go all chalk, aren't I? Ugh. The difference between these clubs. I mean, it, it, it... at the very end, let's just pick an upset. That's that's separate from our picks. It's <laughs> like the king of waffles here for you. <laughs> I do think the series goes a full five. Uh, I've got Atlanta in five. Uh, I, I want to see what they do if Ranger Suarez struggles. What's the what's the plan in game one to not? Do they punt it? Yeah. Do, or you... do they bring somebody in? Or do you throw Syndergaard right behind them? Maybe there's a, a way to work around that. Maybe I, you go whole staff on the first game where you're just like, it's Suarez, Falter, and Syndergaard, you know, each for an inning and a half. Yeah, I just think the, the reason why I think it goes five is because I, I really believe in this this Phillies lineup. I think they put runs on the board pretty consistently all year. That's what they're built to do. I think they can score even against top-end pitching. The difference between the pitching staffs is pretty small, but I would say in this case, and it's not unlike what we're talking, we're talking about with Cleveland where – you move to the middle of the rotation at the beginning of the series, that can be a slight advantage depending on the makeup of the of the two rotations. It's less of an advantage in this case. I, I would I'd be a little bit afraid of that matchup. Suarez has been better in the second half of the season, though. He shaved almost a run off his ERA after a pretty slow start to the year. Um, but a, a matchup that I think is going to be really exciting to watch play out. The last of the series we're going to talk about today, Padres, Dodgers. I saw the graphic, I think it was on SportsCenter, Last night, the regular season meetings between these clubs were pretty ugly in terms of just how much damage the Dodgers did against the Padres. Like a run differential. I will have it if I don't have it. I thought I had it in the sheet, and uh, I'm going to grab that while we're chatting. Oh my god! Yeah, it was. You know, it's bad when late in the season they played each other. uh, They played. They they played the Dodgers tight. (laughs) <laughs> they kept it close. I think they, they played one. They won one game out of three, and two of them were tied. <laughs> and then they and then they uh, they used Manaya uh, as kind of a like you know we're gonna lose this game anyway uh, kind of move because they could have used Darvish, but they wanted to set Darvish up right for the for the postseason. So, yeah, nineteen games in the regular season. Uh-huh. The Dodgers went 14 and 5 against the Padres. The run differential was plus 62 in favor of the Dodgers. Oh. That's rough. That's rough. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. You're not playing on aggregate. That means the average game they won by 3 runs. Yeah. Well, they did that to a lot of teams. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's true. It's not, not unique to the Padres. The, the Dodgers are very good. I did the pitching uh, pr- uh, pitching matchups for this one, and um, the, uh, the only glimmer of hope I have is that uh, the D- the Padres staff actually had a better stuff plus than the Dodgers staff in September. And the reason that's only a glimmer of hope is that September was when the Dodgers were getting healthy. <laughs> so 
it doesn't include a lot of Tony Gonsolin or Clayton Kershaw or Blake Trinan, you know, guys that could have moved the needle on that stuff plus number. I think it's fair to ask some questions about the health of the Dodgers, though. I mean, how how effective and how deep do you expect some of those those injured or previously banged up starters to go? Like, what do you think they're going to get from Gonsolin? He got two innings, I believe it was, against Colorado in his last regular season appearance. That was back on October 3rd. I imagine he's probably thrown on the side since then just to stretch out a little more. So does he go four or five in his next outing? Is that on the table? Uh, yes, and I also don't know if it matters so much. We, we've seen Tony Gonson blow up in the, in the postseason. We've seen that he sometimes has inconsistent command, but the safety blankets this year in the Dodgers organization are pretty good. Uh, Tyler Anderson and Andrew Haney put up 250 innings of a 2.72 ERA. Yeah, that's good. So if Tony Gonsolin goes three or four, especially now you had a righty, over-the-top righty throwing splitters, and now here comes a low-slung lefty throwing you know, back-foot sliders and Andrew Haney or, or a lefty with a change-up and, and Tyler Anderson. So um, I think that that softness around the edges is there's the, the safety blanket of Andrew Haney and Tyler Anderson is pretty good. Now, they're not fire-breathing monsters where you're like, oh, and we have Steven Strider or Lance McCullough. It's not like the, the, the Astros are in better shape, right? It's like we they could have Lance McCullers as a safety blanket who's going to come in and he is kind of a fire breathing monster, you know, <laughs> like uh, definitely when compared to like Tyler Anderson and Andrew Haney. Uh, but it's still a pretty good one. I, I you know, uh, it is funny sometimes when you look at a team that wins a ton of uh, of games and then you're like, but are they that good? If we play the the bullpen game, yeah, I think it's Vessi and Phillips. They said that Trinan makes the roster, but they said they they couldn't speak to his role. So that doesn't make me think that, oh, that's that's the real Trinan of the capital T, you know, coming back. No, but Dustin May is probably going to work in shorter relief stints coming up. There's your fire-breathing monster. There's your guy that you add him to the bullpen, and you're like, oh, no, that's an A bullpen. It's still good. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So you do your Dustin May and your Lance McCullers, and you use uh, Haney and and Anderson as bridges if anybody goes short. You've got Urias, who's a top 10 pitcher uh, in the league. Uh, you've got Kershaw, who's Kershaw. You know, uh, I think, uh, yeah, this is, this is going to be a hard one for the Padres. I keep staring at this Padres lineup and just wishing Tatis were in it. Mm-mm. his own doing he's not there because of his own choices but that would help so much especially so much better when you consider that the way the Dodgers are, are set up right now if Gonsolin's not quite fully stretched out you could probably argue that it's Kershaw Urias and then Tyler Anderson as their three best starting options so right then now they're, they're then all Haney lefties and May are their only yeah and being you know one all more lefty one Tatis more righty, righty. yeah yeah would be great. I mean, especially a righty as good as Tatis is, but he's not here, so we don't have to talk about it. The amazing thing about the Padres uh, series, by the way, against the Mets is Trent Grisham, who had a brutal regular season, showed oh up God. in a big way. He had an amazing a series. Off to Grom? Like, what's going yeah. on here? Yeah, Grisham really showed. I, if they if they handed out MVPs for wild card series, <laughs> he was he was the MVP. And that's the only that's the only kind of story I feel like I can tell is like, what if 
Grisham is just on fire. Like, what if he has like an Arosa Reina type run? Then all of a sudden the lineup looks totally different. You know? Yeah. <laughs> if Soto and Machado are just trying to keep up with Trent Grisham. <laughs> if you're getting clutch homers from the bottom third of the order, sure, you're you're running hot and you can you can beat anybody. Don't know if that's going to work as well against a, a lefty heavy group of Dodger starters, especially. Yeah, Grisham is really is kind of poor against lefty. I always have this soft spot for the Padres. Like I, I want the Padres to be a successful team. I want teams that that make trades and spend more money than expected to do really well. And you can try and and come up with those scripts, and they exist. They absolutely exist. I just can't do it. I can't pick against the Dodgers here. I, I think this is a series that probably goes four. I think the Padres get one in San Diego, but I think that's all they're going to get in this series. Yeah, it's tough for me to. I think I almost want to swim, move past, and now say, let's go to this pick. Let's let's pick an upset. Who is the upset? Guardians. You are taking the Dodgers, right? Yes, I'm taking the Dodgers. I want to. I, I, I want to take the Dodgers and then maybe take the Padres as my upset. But let, let's say who who would it be? The Guardians, the Phillies, uh, the Mariners against the Astros, the Padres against the. Dodgers. Like, I think I would love to take the Padres or Mariners as teams to upset, but I don't want to take them to upset the teams they're facing. <laughs> There's a difference between picking what you think is going to happen based on likelihood, in which case you would end up with chalk very often. That's, which we just did. That's what we just did. But then there is the, yeah, hey, which of these which of these underdogs is most likely to come through? So I think this is the right way to think about the question. I actually think it's the Guardians. Yeah. Just pepper. Just singles and singles and singles. Great command from their starters. The main reason I've talked myself into the Guardians as a team that can beat anybody is because they don't strike out. They play good defense. They do have just enough guys that can do some damage to to get by. And and they just pitch so well. And Mm. I think when I look at the Yankees, it's... Very top heavy. It would be, I, I don't want it to happen in the sense that I want Aaron Judge's season to be defined more by the team success. I want him to be happy about what happened in October and not just like happy with himself but disappointed with the team because I feel like that's a terrible thing to have to sit with. Oh, the Mets. Sorry. It was a good season. I promise. It just didn't end well didn't end well it doesn't end well for 29 teams that's that's right that's just how it goes so i'm putting the guardians in the most likely upset if you said you had you to take one underdog i actually think it's the guardians even though i didn't make that series go five in my prediction i think i agree with you saying that it's likely to go yankees in four uh yeah yeah I, there's no intellectual consistency to what i'm about to say uh there's no and there's no real reason to to, to pick them but uh, i'm gonna pick the padres uh i just i don't know man if if grisham is gonna be useful at all and and then you know we haven't really seen manny and soto go off like what if manny and soto go off that's a pretty good duo like manny soto and bell like what if those guys go off they could they absolutely could you know, in Suarez, Garcia, and Hader, I kind of see, like, you know that the average fastball velocity between Suarez, Garcia, and Hader is 100 miles an hour? <laughs> That's also pretty good. And the lefties and righties, and I can I can tell the story in my head. It's, it's you know, Soto and Machado finally go off. 
You know, Machado could win the MVP. He was that good. I would, I would say for me, the NL MVP is between Machado and Arenado, actually. Yeah, Goldschmidt's provided, probably in there too. I know he's in there, but for me, it's the decision is between Arenado and, and and Machado because they provided more defensive value, and then given that level of defensive value, now you can compare their offenses. And uh, I would rather. I know that Goldie had a really outstanding offensive year, but um, I do think Arenado and Machado gave more uh, defensively. And so I'm willing to actually just compare them to. So anyway, top three in the MVP. And, you know, like it's his like this is his time. And he's also just he's cold as ice, dude. You know what I mean? He is cold as ice, even almost more than Soto, I think. Like he gets up there. I have never seen him sweat, I feel like. So I know I'm telling stories. I'm telling stories. We normally hew closer to the data. But I, I wanted to leave that at that last section in. As let's tell some stories, you know, because October is about stories. You have all these numbers, but then October, you know, doesn't care. So my story is Manny Machado and Juan Soto finally get hot. And uh, and the Padres uh, sl- slew Goliath. Slow, slay, slay Goliath. I think there are plenty of people who'd be happy with many of these upsets happening. <laughs> given how often we've seen the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Astros, and the Braves playing deep into October. and well, I, Baseball would love a, a Yankee-Dodger series, probably. Oh, baseball, for the sake of the ratings, wants chalk on chalk on chalk right now. That's, that's exactly what the league would want if the league wants such things. I think the Guardians uh, are going to do it with pitching, though, if they do it. It's going to be just lower-scoring games. They're not going to outslug the Yankees. That part is pretty obvious. They're not going to win a bunch of 6-5 games to do it. It's that they found a good strategy for keeping Judge, or at least the hitters around Judge, quiet. So if Judge does his damage, it's solo homers. That's kind of the, the mitigation strategy as it comes to keeping the Yankees off the board. If the Phillies do it, I think it's slugfest. Yep, I think you know, the, if the Phillies win, it's a slugfest. I think the Mariners, too, I think. No, I think if the Mariners win, I think it, they, they play them tight and, and win like 3-2. See, I think it's more 5-4, type games if the Mariners win that series. I think they've... Mm. I know their pitching's not bad, but I think it's fatigue on the Astros' starting pitching in particular. With Verlander coming off, Tommy John. McCullers is relatively fresh because he missed so much time during the regular season, but we've seen it with Luis Garcia before where you get those late-season fades. Javier hasn't done it as a starter at the big league level Presley's over a full season. Up and down. Right. So I think that's the story that would come through for me. It's, oh, they had the Astros. They were amazing in the regular season. Starters just got a little fatigued, weren't as effective. Mariners put runs on the board against them and it ended up being a lot of, you know, 5-4, 6-5 type games. We got a fun weekend in front of us with uh, more games. Uh, with... Uh, you know, frankly, uh, better quality teams now. You know, we're we're bringing in the the big hitters, the the Braves, the Dodgers, the Yankees. You know, now it's uh, now it's time to get serious. Yeah, only gets better from here. If you got questions for a future episode, you can find us on Twitter. Eno's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. Enjoy the series. You've always got the green light here. <laughs>